Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warriors Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai, 33 years and counting. Wow. I'm so happy George Brionis is with me this morning, like the old days. What a pleasure. So proud of him. What a day in surgery I had yesterday. It's awesome. Can't wait to tell you all about it because it's actually relevant to today's topic because I'm so excited. At 8.15, my guest calling in is a professional bowler. All right, I've met professional bowlers before. I've taken care of these guys. And I'll ask him, how many perfect scores have you had? How many 300 games have you bowled? And they'll usually say to me, ah, I bowled 10, I bowled 12. Mason Sherman, my guest at 8.15, has bowled over 120, I think. Are you kidding me? How do you do that? He then shows me his video. First of all, the ball usually has three holes, your thumb and two fingers. Not Mason's ball, only two holes. Two fingers. He also holds the ball and nurtures it with his other hand, a two-hand technique. But more importantly, he showed me how he throws the ball. I mean, bowling, you wear the shoes, you get the ball, you throw it down the lane, it arcs, it curves, you hope to hit the middle of the pins, and bada-boom, you, you get all 10 down. But when you watch Mason Sherman throw that ball with the two-hand technique, putting extra spin on it, the ball zigzags. I mean it goes left, right, left, back and forth, back and forth on the lane. When it hits those pins, I swear it's like a stick of dynamite detonated the pins. No wonder he got over 100, 300 games. I'm so excited to talk to him, to learn all about what you can do. Yeah, George, exactly. Bowling. What you can do to bowling. The answer is spin. The energy you get from the zigzag. You go left, you go right, you go left. And it made me think all week. You know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery, and certainly the world of food. I believe they're the same. You just have to look to connect the dots. Where the hell are we going to see zigzagging, increasing energy, taking you to a different place in these worlds? Well, yesterday, one of the surgeries I did was a hip replacement on a man who 10 years ago had a heart transplant. Are you kidding me? Talk about the ultimate zigzag in life. I'm fixing his hip knowing that at the other end of the table, keeping him alive while I do that surgery is someone else's heart beating in his chest. What a world we live in. You got plenty of people to complain about all the problems we have, and there are plenty. I'm not dismissing it. But for two hours every Saturday for 11 years, I like to focus on the beauty of life. And I want to talk to people who see that beauty in every walk of life, including food. Zigzag. Where would you even begin to think, if it wasn't for me, where you see zigzagging in food? Well, guess what I came up with? You know how they have those schwarmers, those giant mounds of beef spinning? Yeah, I'm talking about Lebanese food, Mediterranean food. But the guys who started it all were the Greeks. It's called a gyro, G-Y-R-O. My mouth is watering already because the way they season it, the bread they wrap it in, it's not a pita bread, it's Greek bread. And the tzatziki sauce, that yogurt, has that lemon or lime snap in it with some dill, cucumbers. And I found a place that does it even next level. 
they put a French fries inside the gyro. Can you imagine? I can't even sit still right now. I can't wait to go get one. But I'm going to tell you where the best zigzagging food is in Los Angeles, the best gyro that I've found. Mm-mm-mm. But let's get into today's show. Oh, yeah, Clappervision. I want to talk about Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio. That's right, George. Ricky Rubio tore his ACL again. Ten years ago, his left knee. He had his ACL torn, had it fixed, came back, and he's such a fantastic player. But again, without contact, planted his foot ten years later. He tore an ACL that had already been rebuilt. Why does that happen? You're going to need some clap revision to understand why that would happen. And for those of you who've torn your ACL, we're going to talk about it. You call in because I'll tell you what you can look for to make sure it stays okay. What is it about the surgery? And I love doing ACL surgeries, but I love using your own body parts to rebuild you. Yes, I can use a cadaver. Yes, I can use the hamstring, but I choose not to. And there's a book I wrote, Heal Your Knees with Lindy Yui. You'll read all about my philosophy in that book and how to fix it and what it is. We'll get into Ricky Rubio with some clap revision. And you'll call in. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But let's get right into today's show. The idea of zigzagging, of spinning in your life that leads to an energy that is mind-boggling. So I thought all week, where in my lifetime did I see zig-zag in the world of art? Well, it was these guys. Take the last train of Clarksville and I'll meet you at the station. You can be here by 4.30. These are the monkeys. Here's their theme song. Here we come. Here they come. Walk down the street. That's right. We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Why would I think the monkeys represent zigzag? Because this is what happens. You fall in love with the guitar, the trombone, the drums, whatever the instrument is, right? You take lessons. You're a little kid. You get better at it. Now you get two, three of your friends. You meet in the garage. You start a garage band. We listen to Ayaterra. You know the story. And then you play in a bar. You play a bar mitzvah. You get busy. And all of a sudden, you get an album, a CD. With the hope one day that you get on MTV or they make videos about it. You know, they're just the natural progression. Well, here's a zigzag. How about... You get a TV show before you're even a band. You do it backwards. And the TV producer says, son, we don't even want you to play any instrument. We got professional musicians to do that. We just want your pretty face and for you to mouth the words and sing. Are you kidding me? This was a zigzag in the creative world of music. But guess what happened? The monkeys sold more albums for a couple of years there in the 60s than the Beatles. And it all happened because of the movie A Hard Day's Night when these TV producers, Bob Rafelson, said, hey, we can make a TV show about a a Beatles knockoff and make some money here. The whole thing was a zigzag. Listen to the story of the monkeys. For a short time in the late 60s, the monkeys delivered some of the catchiest tunes the pop charts have ever seen. They were written by great songwriters like Carole King and Neil Diamond. Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart got these great songwriters, wrote amazing songs. But here's the problem. We don't need you to play your instruments, buddy. It's a musical group, but we don't need you as musicians. We're making a TV show. You're just a pretty face. 
except these guys had talent. In 1964, the Beatles and their groundbreaking movie, A Hard Day's Night, were taking America by storm. Impressed by the irreverent tone of the film, two rookie TV producers, Bob Rafelson and Bert Schneider, began to develop a show about an American pop group trying to make their way in the music business. They advertised for four insane boys aged 17 to 21 to make up their new band. Listen to Rafelson, listen to him talk about this. And then a line formed and it was about, I don't know, 600 guys outside of Columbia Pictures. This was the start of an unusual casting process. It was very laid back, I remember. It was very casual. Their feet up on the couches and there was pizza boxes and uh, they had coffee cups everywhere. It's funny, he's been asking about you too. And I would sit and talk to them. That was Mickey Dolenz you were listening to, so describing what it was like to audition for this crazy idea of a TV show about a band, but by the way, we don't want you to play the music. A little while later, I called them. So what's the story? I said, we'll call you back. So how does it feel to be a monkey? I put down the phone. I said, excuse me just a second. Walked out of the office. I was sitting, yippee! <clears throat> it feels fine, thank you. Uh, what do we do next? Autumn 1965. The four monkeys were now in place. Former child stars Davy Jones and Mickey Dolenz were joined by budding musicians Peter Talk and Michael Nesmith. Just pick these guys out of an audition because of what they look like to duplicate what the Beatles look like. Mickey and I were the actors, Peter and Mike were the musicians. You know, when they said who's going to be the drummer, Mickey you know, was the, unfortunately the one that didn't step back. You know, we just left him standing there. I didn't want to be the drummer. To prepare the boys for their new roles, 28-year-old comic actor Jim Frawley was brought on board. Well, I was hired to work for three months with these four guys who had never worked together before and to establish their relationships, uh, one with the other as improvised actors. All premeditated. The producer called us into a meeting uh, and he said, uh, I have a screening room available for you guys. It's just like a movie. What we're going to be doing is screening continuously the Marx Brothers and the two Beatles movies, Help and Hard Day's Night. And at the end of the week, he called us all together. He said, now go out and write like that. Oh, my God. This is Bobby Hart, one of those writers. The way we worked with them is we would have everything prepared ahead of time. We'd call for either David or Mickey to come over, and they would put a vocal on in two or three takes, and that's what you still hear today. We'd cut, I think, ten songs or so for the first album. We needed another song. And I heard just the fade-out of the Beatles' new record. It just come out. Paperback. And I heard, take the last. I don't know why, but that's what I thought they were saying. And I said, well, to myself, well, take the, it's got to be about a train. Take the last train. This is a song that's kind of Beatlesque, and so we need a riff. Now I want you to listen to why I'm talking about the monkeys. Listen to Peter Talk, the blonde-haired guy, talking about, they asked me to show up. I brought my guitar. They said, what you bring your guitar for? He said, because I'm a musician. We don't want you playing the guitar, buddy. We just want your face. And uh, Louis Sheldon just just went right into it. Take the last train to Foxville and I'll meet you at the station. You can be here by 4.30 because I've made your reservation. Don't be slow. While musician Peter Talk enjoyed filming the TV show, making the records would lead to frustration and disappointment. They said, we're having a recording session tonight. Come on in. So I brought my guitar in. They said, why would you bring in your guitar? <laughs> why don't I bring in my guitar? No, the track's all done. I was devastated. What I didn't realize at the time was that the music was going to have to be cranked out in massive amounts and that we were going to have to have people who knew how to make music quickly and well uh, and on order. And what no one imagined was how successful this premeditated, prefabricated group 
would become. 1967. The Monkees had a hit TV series and an increasing grip on the pop charts. They started a world tour, promoting a record on which they hadn't been allowed to play their own instruments. We hit the road in 67 as the cover band for our own album. Jesus. We were a cover band. We played Monkees hits. <laughs> Monkees cover band. <laughs> We played 200 concerts with just the four of us, and these are four guys that are not supposed to play their own music. There's one of the most successful bands of all time. Whether you're Guns N' Roses or In Sync, every one of these band members have come up to the Monkees at some point in their life, thanking them for inspiring them. And they're going, are you kidding me? Yep. They zigzagged. They did it a different way. And you get an energy when you do that what about in the world of sports in my lifetime my favorite basketball player outside of Kobe Bryant did not play for an NBA team he did a zigzag with his life he's got a haircut like mine his name was Curly Neal he passed away in 2020 but I want you to hear this story of one of the greatest basketball players of all time who never played in the NBA. But what he did with his life, bringing basketball to the world, is an amazing story of a man who zigzagged and used that energy to change the world. Coming up next, we'll get into it. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Going on, L.A., this is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The most gifted physical specimen I've ever seen. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. You busy singing with anybody down. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. It's a zigzag show. And in food, it's going to be about the Greek sandwich called a gyro. But when you're Greek, you pronounce it hero, which is where the hero sandwich came from. Thank you for calling in, whatever your name is. It's all Greek to me, but it's delicious. All right, before I get into Curly Neal, I see all the lines lit up. I better do some Clapper vision right now. All right, who do we have, George? We got Lawrence. Lawrence, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Uh, yes, Dr. Clapper. You did my knee surgery uh, four years ago. Ah, great. And I need your, and I need your help to, uh, for some rehab right now. Okay. I've had deep blood. Did we lose you? You still there? Yes, I am. Okay. What kind of help do you need? Uh, I have some deep swelling in my knee and... I'm not sure how to get that out right now. Is this on the knee that had surgery or the other knee? Uh, it's the other knee now. Yeah, there you go. So the knee I did is doing fine, right? Right. Tell all your friends. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Clapper. <laughs> You're welcome. Listen, here's the key. Before any doctor tells you to have a pill, Advil, Motrin, or Leaf for the swelling, before any doctor gives you a shot of cortisone, stem cells, PRP, or other cockamamie stuff they want to inject in your knee. How about, Lawrence, having a diagnosis? What a genius idea that would be. But this broken system we live in, they, the insurance company, will only want you to go get treatment before having a diagnosis. So, Lawrence, this is what you need to do. You need to be examined. You have to have an x-ray, and you'll probably need an MRI to figure out why you have swelling. Not just treat the swelling. Capiche? Capiche. 
So to, uh, on Monday, you'll call my office. Arnie will answer the phone. He'll give you an appointment for like four months from now. You'll say, no, Dr. Clapper said I could call and you'll make time for me soon. I don't want anybody sticking needles in to drain it, to give you pills, to send you to therapy just yet. You need a diagnosis. Then we can talk about what exactly you should do. You don't have to run to surgery, even though I'm a surgeon, even though I did your other knee. Yes, you want to try to be holistic, be conservative first, but you need a diagnosis. Is it your meniscus? Do you have arthritis? God forbid, is it gout? Something else going on. You need to figure it out. And for that, that's why you become a doctor. That's why you need to go to a doctor. All right? Thanks, Doc. All right, Lawrence, do me a favor. You're actually not a total stranger to me, but I need you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. All right? Thanks, Doc. All right. See you on Monday. See you Monday. Okay, God bless you. (laughs) Listen, I'm not doing this show to get patients, all right? But I'm doing it to help people. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. You should find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. Let's get into today's show, though. Because at 8.15, my guest, Mason Sherman, is going to teach us why zigzagging with a bowling ball generates so much energy that those pins literally explode. When I saw him on that video throw the bowling ball in a way I've never seen before, I can't wait to talk to him. You don't want to miss the interview at 8.15. But it made me think, where else do you zigzag? in sports, with your whole life with that energy. Well, his name was Fred Curly Neal, and he was from the South. And a black man in the South, when he grew up, not so easy. Basketball was in its infancy. The NBA did exist, but it was nothing like it is now. So he had to make a choice of what to do with his life. I want you to hear the story of the greatest, Curly Neal. If you are of a certain age, there's only one man that comes to mind when you think of spinning a basketball on your finger or sliding to the floor while maintaining the dribble and going through the defender's legs all day. It was all mastered by Curly Neal. He was the man who controlled the ball as if it was on a string. He could shoot that ball from the half-court line Steph Curry does it now. Before there was a Steph Curry, there was a Curly Neal. After leaving college, Neal played an incredible 22 seasons with the Globetrotters, more than 6,000 games in nearly 100 countries. You want some perspective on that? 6,000 games equals just over 73 regular seasons in the NBA. So much for load management. That's exactly right. Oh, my God but one of the most dignified, classiest people ever in the world of professional sports, Curly Neal. The Globetrotters were everywhere, and that meant something. Being on television and a pop culture icon back in the day? Now, for me, that begins in the 1970s, and you had to have talent. Your body of work had to mean something. This wasn't a reality TV world back then, and there definitely was not 6,000 channels and streaming services. We're talking about ABC and chill. But there were the Trotters, dazzling people across the globe against the hapless Washington Generals. Curly Neal played for the Globetrotters from 1963 to 1985. 1963... America, the NBA, different place. And then showing up on Saturday morning cartoons. Does the name Scooby-Doo mean anything to you? Scooby and the gang didn't welcome a lot of guests onto their show, but those meddling kids had a soft spot for Curly. Neil and the other Globetrotters made three appearances on Scooby-Doo, and once it went into syndication, you might see them on any given day of the week. I know I surely did. They even had their own Hanna-Barbera cartoons, the Harlem Globetrotters, and later the Super Globetrotters. Like the monkeys, the Globetrotters went a different route. They zigzagged into America, different from the NBA. They played this team, 
that they concocted so they could showcase the skills of basketball. You knew they were always going to win, but they did more with their lives. They touched kids. Ugh. Listen to Curly Neal, his own words. Everywhere I go, yes. You know, everywhere? in the stores, yes, everywhere abroad. Uh, Sometimes in the bathroom I had to sign an autograph. Look at that, I can get it so anybody can do this. Look at that. Got a smile on that. Okay, all right, yeah, you got it. It's dealing with children, you know, with Special Olympics, uh, handicapped kids, and giving something back to the community and, and telling the kids to stay in school and get educated first. Hank Bauer taught me this trick here four years ago. What a beautiful man. I want you to continue to hear him speak. You never make enough, you know. Believe it or not, when I first started, I was only making $700 a month playing with the Globe Trotters. We was playing uh, about 300 games a year. So you can see that's about five, dollars $6,000 a year. So. How about when you finished, 22 years later? 22 years later, my highest salary was $150,000, which is, you know, no money really, you know. But uh, I have a good family, I have good kids, and uh, I just try to spread joy throughout the world wherever I go. And, you know, maybe the money will come later. Yeah, well, he passed away in 2020, but he got more in his life than money. He got the respect and a journey in life that no no other basketball player, I don't even care if you're Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, what Curly Neal did with his life in basketball is like none other. Well, I was a small kid out of college, Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was drafted you know, by uh, four other NBA teams, the New York Knicks. Detroit Pistons, Baltimore Bullets, and the St. Louis Hawks, and the Fabulous Globetrotters. But as an NBA player, you know, you had to pay your own way, free agency, you know, you had to pay your uh, plane fare back and forth to camp. So the Globetrotters, Abe Saperstein, which was the owner, originator of the team, and uh, he invited me to camp in Chicago, Illinois, at DePaul University. Just like those guys lined up to become a monkey. They had to beat out other people. But they zigzagged in their life just like Curly Neal zigzagged in his life in the world of basketball. He didn't join the New York Knickerbockers, an NBA franchise. He joined the Harlem Globetrotters. Stan, 125 guys from all over the United States trying out for five positions. And you made it. As basketball players, I made it. I was one of the lucky five in the the rest is history. Now, why do you think you stayed doing that? I mean, the money back then wasn't as great in the NBA back, you know, 45 years ago. Well, determination, ago. dedication. I always wanted to be a professional basketball player, right. no matter who I played for, you know. So uh, I was a basketball player first. And then the learning of the hoopla, the spinning the ball on your finger, I had to learn that from my teammates. You know, Wilt, Meadowlock, Lemon, Geese, Osby, you know, the guys that played with me during those times. And then he surpassed their talent. Here's a young girl, I think in Chicago, interviewing him. This is the cutest. With this young girl giving him an interview. But doing her research, she learns how really famous he is. Listen to what she says. Now, I'll admit, when I was doing my research on you today, I was Googling you, looking at news, and I found so many articles where they weren't about you. They were using you as an analogy. So this guy yes. can dribble like oh, yes. Curly Neal or this guy is yes. almost as good as Curly Neal. So still have those analogies in present day today. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel wonderful, you know, just to know that I'm doing something good and, and having somebody follow me. And, you know, and, and it's, it's beautiful just to keep this organization going. You know, it's been 89 years now, and I hope it go 89 more. Curly Neal zigzagged. He didn't go the typical route. Peter Talk, Mickey Dolenz, Davy Jones, Mike Nesmith, who just passed away recently, they went differently, a different route. But the energy that they got exploded those bowling pins just like Mason Sherman does. In surgery, well, I'll tell you more about it. You need to hear what surgery was like yesterday where I did a hip replacement on a man with a heart transplant. But I also want to talk about a shoulder surgery I did yesterday. I'll open the clinic as well. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. 
going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. The best entertainer. Forget going to the movies. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. So the Clapper was looking at the flapper. Can you imagine how cool that was? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Take the last train to Clarksville. That's Mickey Dolan singing. What a voice. He's the last remaining monkey. And I think he lives in L.A. I hope he listens to the show. He's such an influence on so many people. More ways than just music. Just beautiful. But it's a zigzag. They spun their lives. They went a different route. And benefited big time. You can do it in art, in sports, in surgery, in food, in everything. Yesterday in surgery, I did two big zigzags. One was operating on a man's hip who got to wear it out because he lived longer, because 10 years ago had a heart transplant. The drugs you have to take so you don't reject the heart, all those things play into it. But the whole time I'm doing his surgery, I'm thinking this is just such a miracle. And then the next case I did was another miracle. And talk about zigzag. The surgery itself is called a reverse shoulder replacement. Because when you come to me and your shoulder hurts, and you not only have bone-on-bone arthritis, but you don't have any more rotator cuff to lift your arm up, We have a great term, pseudo, because it's fake, paralysis. It's like you had a stroke. Your arm becomes useless. We never had an option before. But a French surgeon did a major zigzag in surgery. He said, I got an answer. Reverse where the ball that God gave us, the ball side of the joint, make it into a socket, make the socket side of the joint into a ball. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy, but it works. And what I did yesterday is now the second case I've done where using a CAT scan, which is a three-dimensional X-ray, it's not just a front view, a side view, or an angled view, but a 360-degree X-ray. That's what a CAT scan is of the shoulder. It's not like an MRI where you can see the rotator cuff and the soft tissues. The CAT scan is really for seeing the bone and the joint. But what I did was, and what I'm doing from now on, is by using a CAT scan, I can send that disc and have a three-dimensional model made of the skeleton of that person uniquely. And essentially in the computer, do the surgery and see the exact sizes of the implants that I'm going to want to use to the millimeter so that when I go into surgery, a lot of the questions I might ask of myself with my fingers, with my eyes, of what the tissues look like to me have already been answered. It's just... It's great to be a surgeon for 33 years, 16,000 surgeries. I'm 64 and a half years old. But to learn new technology and use it, that's what keeps you young. It's awesome to continue to advance yourself. Spin it. Zigzag. Learn the zigzag. And you'll be young forever. It's awesome. And in my own world of sports, it's been raining. Remember how much rain we have between Christmas and New Year's? Well, here's the problem with rain. It pollutes the water, particularly if you surf like me near where rivers enter into the ocean. Santa Clara River, Ventura River, the Bologna Creek in Manhattan Beach. You better not get in the ocean for 72 hours, they say, after the rain. In addition, there were no waves. It's been flat like a lake. So I have not surfed for two weeks. Well, 
I don't have any hair on my head to pull out, but I was pulling out the remaining hair on my eyebrows, like Steve Mason. Who needs to shave it off? I'm pulling my eyebrows out. It's the only hair I got. But I was going crazy. I need the ocean to recharge my batteries. I need to paddle. I need surfing. That's my zen. That's my life so I can be a surgeon and be on the radio and do all the things that I love to do with my life. Sculpt everything. My wife will say to me, you need to go surfing. Get out of here. (laughs) God bless her. So I missed it so much. So I decided before I start back to work because I had the week off. This past Monday, I took the day off. I said, that's it. I can't take it. I can't start seeing patients on Tuesday and operating on Wednesday and Friday. I, I got to get in the ocean. So I figured it out. I'm not a meteorologist, but everybody who surfs seems to be a meteor- meteorologist. They know when the winds are, the buoys, the tides. All I can tell you is the water is freezing. You typically spell the word freezing, F-R-E-E-Z-I-N-G. When, I, when you're from New York, there's an A in it, freezing. That water was freezing, like far rockaway. Oh, my God. You don't know how cold it is. God bless Linda Huey. She got me a new wetsuit, a 5-4. But it's still freezing. So I figured I'm not going at dawn when, the, when it's still dark out. That's usually when I go, right before the sun comes up, before first light. I'm going to wait. I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go when the least the sun is out. I'm going to go around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Different crowd in the ocean at that time. But in this case, there's nobody in the ocean because there's no waves. And the water looks like chocolate milk. But I said, I got to take the chance. So I have a surfboard I brought back from Waikiki. It's 11 feet long, 4 inches thick. It's a beast. Weighs like 80 pounds. I had them put a handle in it. And it's a surfboard. It's not a paddleboard. I figured at least I won't be touching the water that much. I'm going to go when the sun is up so it's at least warmer. And I did one meteorological thing that a Jewish guy would never do. I looked at the tides. And I realized at dawn it's high tide. But around 1130 on that last Monday, it's going to be mid-tide. Not low tide, but mid-tide which I think would be perfect if there's ever going to be a wave. So this past Monday, I got into my wets. I'm buck naked in the parking lot, put my wetsuit on. People there got winter jackets on and earmuffs, and there I am naked in the parking lot getting my wetsuit. I didn't care. I'm desperate. I took my 11-foot Waikiki board, walked down the staircase, and I go into the ocean. No one is there. No normal person would even think of this. I paddle out. And I look up at the sky and I say, God, I'm here. As if he can listen. But he's listening. I've been blessed. And guess what happens? Out of nowhere, a wave comes. Oh my God. I start paddling in that chocolate milk water. Paddle, 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 paddle. And then it's all of a sudden, it's like God taps me on the shoulder. Robbie? You can stop now. I get on my knees. I stand up, and I ride that Waikiki board for 100 yards. I scream as loud as I can when I kick out of that wave. And I look at the shoreline, and there are all those guys in the winter jackets with the earmuffs, with their hands up in the air, rooting for me. And I paddle back out. 90 minutes, an hour and a half, I was in the ocean all by myself. It was the greatest. Then a guy paddled out. His name was Reuben. Hi, Reuben, I said. He said, hi. What do you do for a living? He says, I'm a, he said, he's a finished carpenter. I said, so am I. Except the, the wood I'm working on has blood vessels in it. What a lovely guy. So I got to surf with another person, which was great. And then another guy came out, Tim. That's it. Three people in two hours. And it was awesome. It's given me the energy to be able to wake up and do this show with you today. It was just awesome to zigzag. I did it when no one else would even think of doing it.
that's what you got to do with your life. Coming up next, I got to tell you where the zigzagging food is. The best Greek gyro in L.A. Where would that be? I'm going to tell you. Coming up next, the number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Going on, LA. This is Kobe Bryant. Don't they ask the law? Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Yo, Tango Un Lapis Amarillo. Thank you. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So great to have Jorge Briones helping me out this morning. Love it. Like the good old days. Little Spanish. Flair. Remember that boxer we interviewed, Jojo? Jojo Diaz. Jojo Diaz. Love that guy. Yeah, he's great. It reminds me of me speaking Spanish. I speak orthopedic Spanish. Donde es dolor. Donde es dolor. (laughs) Doble rodilla. Everybody thinks I know what I'm talking about. Radiographica. (laughs) My favorite. My favorite. This is why it's my favorite language. And Mexican food is my favorite food because it's the most underrated food. But whoever invented this language, I just love this guy. And by the way, it's a guy. You know why? Because in Spanish, how do you say wife? Esposa, right? Uh When the police arrest you and they put handcuffs on you, what are those called? (laughs) You did not go there. (laughs) Esposas. (laughs) Okay. If a lady invented the Spanish language... She ain't saying handcuffs uh, like a wife, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's my favorite language. (laughs) So it's great to have you here, Jorge. You know, while I was away, because we had to do best ofs for the last two weeks, I treated myself. I watched a movie, and I watched a TV show. And these two things, this movie and this TV show, I totally recommend. And you can still watch it. The movie is called The Alpinist. Definitely you need to watch this movie. And you have to watch it to the end because I don't want to ruin the ending for you. It's a documentary about a kid in his 20s who's a mountain climber. The Alps, this is what he can climb. But he climbs up in Canada. He also climbs in Alaska. He climbs the biggest mountains in the world that everyone says you can't climb by yourself. This guy, and he's with the ice pick. He's like unbelievable. And he wants absolutely no one to know that he's doing it. He does it for himself. And they said to him, you know, this is crazy. You're climbing all these mountains. Nobody's ever soloed these mountains before. We need to make a movie about you. Nope, I don't want you making a movie about it. I do this for myself. You cannot believe how understated a person can be. He really means it. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's doing the greatest things in mountain climbing that's ever been done. It's an inspiring movie about doing stuff for yourself, that you're the audience, not the strangers outside your body. I went surfing on Monday, not to show off to a bunch of people on the shoreline. I did it for myself. That's what you should do things in life. You know, you gotta be nice to yourself. It was an awesome movie to remind me of that. And the TV show, The best TV show I've seen, it's not even on the Food Channel. He used to be, I think, on the Food Channel. It's called The Naked Chef. Not that he has his, he's naked. But I think it's because of the ingredients. He wants to build all the ingredients. And I remember watching this guy, Jamie Oliver, when he was like an 18-year-old kid with a bicycle who lived in like a third story walk-up apartment, no elevator, and he slept the bicycle up the staircase. I remember like watching him get to the top floor. And he was the only chef I've ever seen who really wanted to simplify cooking. Bare bones. Maybe that's where the naked comes from. 
He was the first guy who said, okay, we're going to make pasta. Not from a box. You're not going to go to the store. You're going to make it yourself. It's real easy. He took flour, poured it on top of the countertop, took his index finger. He says, make a little hole in the center of the mound of the flour, crack an egg, put it in the middle there, and then take a fork, break the yolk, stir it in the flour, and slowly introduce the flour as you're stirring the egg that you broke. And the next thing you know, the white flour turns yellow because it's the egg. And this has become spaghetti. The guy was unbelievable. I just remember him doing this. Well, now he's a grown man. Now he's, he's got like five kids. He's probably in his 40s. He has a new show, though. And I sat down to watch it. It's called Together. He simplifies. Like, that's his thing. The making of food. But he did something, one thing. And all the different dishes that he made that blew me away. And what it was is it reminded me of the greatest artists of our lifetimes, at least in my lifetime. And that's when I realized he's he's just an artist who happens to be a chef. He's really an artist. So in the 1880s, Claude Monet, who invented Impressionism, the greatest art form. He had to do battle because photography was coming along. So you didn't need to hire a painter anymore to paint your portrait. You could hire a guy to take a picture looks better than any painting that could ever been done. Well, if you're a portrait painter, you're now out of business. It's like blockbuster video. Monday, they're in business. The parking lot's crowded. Tuesday, the iPad came along. Thank you. There's no one in the parking lot. You don't need blockbuster video. It's like, boom, it's done. So when you now are a photographer and you're a poor, boom, Monday you're busy, you got all these clients, Tuesday they're hiring the photographer, they don't need you to paint the painting. So what do you do if you're a painter? You got to make a living. They invent Impressionism where they make the painting look better than, the, than what your eyes see in nature. Globs of paint. Unbelievable. Well, he was such a genius as an artist, Claude Monet, he did something and I'm going to get to Jamie Oliver, he did something that blew everyone's mind. Across the street from his studio was a farm. And during the harvest, they collect the hay, and they make stacks of it, haystacks. He looks out his window and realizes, you know what? The lighting is so special in the morning. I'm going to paint those haystacks in the morning. And he does with all kinds of golden yellows and orange. He stops to have lunch. It's now noontime, midday. Clouds come in. They block the sun. It's not the morning sun anymore. He looks at the haystacks and goes, wow, they look different to me. The coloring, the lighting is different. The shadows. He paints the haystacks in the daytime, at noon. And before he goes to sleep, the end of the day, dusk, he looks out the window again and goes, oh, my God. Look at those same haystacks. They didn't move. Nothing changed, but the lighting did. And he paints the haystacks different times a day, same subject, same exact view. And then he says, and I'm going to paint it in the spring, the summer, the fall, and the winter. So he does, does different times of the year, same exact subject. And what you realize is the lighting is so special that the coloring is completely different, even though you, your, your brain loves it. You're looking at the same haystack. Well, 100 years later, Andy Warhol said, I'm taking a snapshot of Mao Tung, of Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor, whoever it is, Elvis Presley, blows up the portrait and then takes colored paint and makes Mao Tung's face green or makes it blue or makes her... He just has the same portrait, but he uses different colors on it. It's an unbelievable effect. Well, Jamie Oliver, I'm sitting there watching it with my wife, and he says, heirloom tomatoes. I want to make an appetizer with heirloom tomatoes. I'm going, okay, what are you going to do with heirloom tomatoes? He says, well, there's orange tomatoes, heirloom There's red tomatoes, which we all know. 
There's green heirloom tomatoes, not tomatillos. They're green tomatoes, and they're ripe. They're not green unripened. And they're yellow ones. Four of them he takes. He takes a cheese grater type thing, cuts the tomato in half, and he cheese grates. He makes a puree. He just scrapes the tomato, gets the seeds. They're gone. And makes a puree of orange, red, green, and yellow tomatoes. And he puts them each different color in a different bowl. The puree from the red, the green, the orange, yellow, separate bowls of these beautiful, and I got a color TV. Everybody has a color TV. It pops. It's still a tomato. The the subject is the same, but the color is absolutely gloriously different. And he puts a little sea salt in for flavoring. He then toasts slices of bread, a baguette, scrapes some garlic on it, which I've done, which is unbelievable, like bruschetta, like the Italians do. And you take a spoon and you put a spoonful of the green or the yellow or the orange or the red tomato on the different slices of bread. It is Claude Monet, Andy Warhol in food. It's one of the most incredible things. I wanted to jump through my TV to taste it because he says... Even though it's a tomato, you will now taste the subtle difference that exists between the yellow, the red, the green, and the orange tomato. It's unbelievable. Don't miss it. It's called Jamie Oliver Together. That's the name of it. And I need to tell you about zigzagging in food. The greatest Greek Dish. I know them all. I've been to many a Greek restaurant. But the greatest. G-Y-R-O. Gyro. If you're Greek, you can pronounce it hero. Gig is into egg. It's a gyro to me because it has a G-Y-R-O. Yeah, I have all I have patients like this. You, you love this. They come to my office. They fill out all this paperwork. The William Frank Stevenson. Okay. I'll, I'll look at him and go, hi, William, nice to meet you. Please call me Fred. I go, really? Why did you just fill out three names? Your first, your middle, and your last name. William Frank Stevenson. And I'm now you're correcting me because I need to call you Fred. Why do you do that? <laughs> it's unbelievable. So <laughs> if it's G-Y-R-O, the Weekend Warrior Show is going to call it a gyro. Okay? Forget about it. Or Fred. <laughs> or Fred. You can call it a Fred. <laughs> And these guys put a French fry in it, and that yogurt dressing is unbelievable. I think there's a tomato in it also, but the spices on that shawarma that they're slicing up as they zigzag and spin that meat. I can't even speak. The best one is in Ventura. And next hour, I'll tell you exactly the name of the place in Ventura. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories about zigzagging in art in sports, and in my world of surgery. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.